Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Hello, Hostel Homies. This episode is brought to you by The Hostel Group. Visit thehostelgroup.com and support hostels by booking direct. Episode 28, Hello Travel Gang. It is about 2.45 a.m. in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm just now getting this episode uploaded. I recorded this interview a few weeks ago over the phone and I've been very excited to release it. Our guest is Nora Dunn. Nora has been a full-time traveler for over 12 years and has written multiple books on the topic. Her travel blog, which is one of the original travel blogs out there, is titled The Professional Hobo. This episode is stacked with advice on full-time travel, including how to get free accommodation while traveling and better approaches to meeting locals. I've attached links to all the websites discussed, so check the notes section of the podcast to dive deeper into all the different websites, programs, and opportunities that Nora recommends. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 28 with the professional hobo, Nora Dunn. You are currently at a home base, which is not not typical for you in, in you know, the past 10, 10 or so years of travel. No, it's well, what's what's most atypical about where I am right now is I've actually reestablished a, a home base in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a little Twilight Zone-esque uh, <laughs> because, of course, there's there's all kinds of interesting things for me to experience, not the least of which is reverse culture shock. Uh, but I've already been through that a million times because I've I've always come back for visits every couple of years. Um but one thing that I, I actually underestimated the value of after 12 years of full-time travel uh, was the actual physical proximity of family and friends mm-hmm. uh, and the amount of support that that can, uh, that can lend. So it has been very refreshing to come back to Toronto uh, after 12 years on the road. Uh, however, two caveats to that, one of which is I still bill myself as a full-time traveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is simply a home base. Uh, and in fact, actually, in the last 12 years, I've had a variety of home bases around the world where I've spent anything from six months to two years. Uh, And that has kind of been some of the most refreshing times of my travel because it's always allowed me a chance to to unpack, to unwind, to assimilate my experiences, to use that base as a a base for side trips and further travels, Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately uh, to actually leave some stuff behind every once in a while and travel ultralight. Well, I'm glad that you bring that up because I, I think a lot of travel bloggers don't hit on the importance of that home base, uh, you know, whether it's temporary or not. Being able to come back to, to a home, I think, lets you enjoy the, the travel even more. Absolutely. And and the years when I have had home bases have, have arguably been probably some of the most uh, rewarding years of my travels. Uh, and nothing made that more clear to me than uh, the, the last year, year and a half prior to uh, arriving to Toronto and deciding to, uh, to get a place here. Uh, and in that time, I was in Asia and uh, I started out with a house sitting gig that I got in Tokyo, uh, where I was house sitting for a couple of months. And then I kind of figured, well, as long as I'm all the way in Asia, I may as well make the most of it. Mm-hmm. So I bounced around 10 countries or so in as many months. 
And uh, I really, I mean, not that I haven't traveled at a fast pace before, I have. It's, it's almost like I needed to relearn a lesson I'd already learned before. And uh, it's a twofold lesson, one of which is slow travel is really the way to go. And the other of which is when you don't have a home base and you're taking everything with you, even if everything you own fits into a suitcase, <laughs> there is an emotional component to moving. Because every time I packed up that suitcase and moved location, it was like I was moving my house, moving my home. Uh, and full-time travel is a full-time job. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a lot of work to choose your locations, to figure out how to get there, to uh, book the tickets, to find the area where you want to stay, to find a place to stay. It is a huge job. And if you're moving every month, it is a full-time job. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and that's one of the things that I like about your travel blog is that as much as you hit on the amazing things about travel, you also hit on the very realistic things about travel. So could you could you walk us through how you got into this full-time travel as well as how the professional hobo came to be? Absolutely. Greetings. My name is Nora Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> I am the professional hobo, but I wasn't always. Uh, I was around 2006. I was running, I was what I would call myself a, a medium-sized fish in a big pond, mm -hmm. running a financial planning practice in Toronto, Canada. Uh, and ultimately, in the, the scope, the way that I worked with people and helped them manage their finances was much less about investment choices and graphs and numbers, and it was much more about helping people engineer their finances to help them achieve the lives and lifestyles of their dreams. So as such, it was really rewarding work, but somewhere along the lines, I A, burnt out, and B, realized that I had put my own lifelong dreams uh, on the side uh, in order to, uh, you know, help other people embrace their own dreams. Uh, and my own lifelong dreams, uh, <laughs> literally incubating from a specific experience when I was about nine years old, uh, had been to travel the world long-term and immersively to really, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, to crack the code <laughs> of various cultures around the world, to break bread around dinner tables around the world, to volunteer around the world to climb the mountains of the world and i realized uh in a in a, a fateful but wonderful month-long trip to south africa that even a month wasn't long enough to crack the code of a country and that was the last traditional vacation i took before i realized that in order to really live my dream i needed to sell everything and embrace travel as a as a, an indefinite exercise so I did that. I sold everything I owned. I had no idea where I would go, what I would do, how I would financially sustain my travels, or even how long it would last. I kind of thought there was a chance that I might just, you know, six months later be like, Whew, all right, got that out of <laughs> Cut it out of the way, yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Twelve years later, obviously, I made a life and a lifestyle and a career out of it. Uh, I parlayed my financial expertise uh, into the travel realms and my travel expertise into the financial realms, uh, building a career as a freelance writer, which, of course, was something that I could do from anywhere in the world with a laptop and an internet connection. And then along the lines, in 2006, let's get it right, in 2006, travel blogging was not really a thing. Mm -hmm. At least monetizing a travel blog was non-existent. The term digital nomad and location independent had not been invented yet. So the idea of being a travel blogger was, you know, I had a travel blog, but it was like a journal. There, mm -hmm. was, there was no strategy for making that a business. My business was freelance writing. Uh, but along the way, uh, an, an entire industry built up around me and kind of took me with it as one of the first travel bloggers out there doing this sort of thing. 
And uh, and so then ultimately, I parlayed my financial and travel expertise into my website, teaching people how to travel full time in a financially sustainable way. And that website, in case no one's figured it out yet, is theprofessionalhobo.com. As far as the professional hobo goes, I mean, you you started travel blogging, as you mentioned, before it was really a thing back in 2006. And in many ways, you paved the way for all of these people who are travel bloggers today. What, what <laughs> was better go- or worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was going through your mind at the time? I mean, you kind of mentioned that, you know, this wasn't really a thing that was happening. But what was going through your mind at the time when you were starting to realize, oh, wow, I'm becoming this, you know, professional travel blogger and as well as what were the thoughts and feedback from others when you told them, you know, I'm going to travel full time and and write about it. So when I decided to travel full time, I didn't actually, I still hadn't made the connection that I was going to make a living as a writer yet. Mm-hmm. So really for, for the, the announcement was simply, uh, I'm selling everything to travel full time. I think at the time I decided I was going to go, going to take a, an outward bound trainer course that was going to allow me to have all the skills necessary to, to be an outdoor educator. So mm-hmm. I would take groups on, you know, canoe trips or, you know, backpacking and hiking and all that sort of stuff. So I was planning on getting certified as an outdoor education instructor and that was my kind of idea of a way that I could make money in various locations around the world that and bartending those are my two great ideas that I had (laughs) Um, so really the announcement was simply that I'm going to sell everything to travel the world and I was expecting a lot of flack for it Uh, I'd really I'd reached a point in my financial planning practice in my business where I'd really I'd just finished pouring all the blood sweat and tears into building up the business Mm -hmm. and technically all I really had to do is kind of sit back and work less and less and make more and more money, uh, which, you know, any really kind of normal person would have done. However, so I expected a lot of flack, and, and surprisingly, uh, I got the exact opposite. All I got was support. I, people, yeah, go, Nora, you do that. I wish I could do that. I know I never could. And that's been a reoccurring theme throughout my travels. So a lot course. of people say say that. Uh, probably the, the strangest or, or least supportive comment I got was, wow, I don't know why anyone would ever do that. and it was just someone who just it was just not in her in her you know wheelbox to to even think about something like that um and you know and she was the first person to say good for you if that floats your boat have at her Mm -hmm. um but uh, she was pretty clear about the fact that it wasn't her uh, her idea so it wasn't until I'd hit the road that I actually connected the dots and and realized, oh, hey, wait a minute, with a laptop and an internet connection, I can use my lifelong penchant for the written word. And and, and let's get it right, I, I have written in one capacity or another most of my life. So it's mm-hmm. not like writing was a new skill to me. It's not like I was like, oh, hey, I can be a writer. Oh, I should probably learn how to spell first. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of had the skills already. I just had to apply them to a new industry, uh, and I was up for the challenge. Uh, I was also uh, well aware of the time it would take to do this. Mm -hmm. So whether it be travel blogging or freelance writing, developing a career like this I knew would take years to make a decent living. And luckily because uh, when I sold my financial planning practice, it kicked out an income for about two years. And that income was sufficient enough for me to live on as as long as I lived frugally on Mm -hmm. the road. It was enough for me to – so I learned budget travel techniques pretty quickly because of that. But then I also gave myself those two years to build up my freelance writing career. Now, what 
happened with the travel blog in the meantime and where the travel blog actually started being a thing more than, you know, something my mom read was uh, I was in Thailand. I was in northern Thailand and Cyclone Nargis blew through Burma or Myanmar, leaving two million people without food, shelter or water. And I'd never been so close to a natural disaster. I was very emotionally affected by the fact that I was a mere 150 kilometers away from this and this this damage and destruction and difficulties that people were experiencing. Uh, so I, I <laughs> very long story short, I inadvertently launched an international NGO and uh, ended up using my website as the uh, as the the forum to collect the donations that I was then uh, using to send goods directly into Burma, while all the while circumventing the, the aid organizations that weren't able to get aid in because Burma was a country with closed borders. Mm-hmm. So that was when I actually attracted some international attention with my website. And that would be, I would say, that was the beginning uh, of of actually becoming more than a glorified travel journal. Uh, and and when I started to uh, to realize that it was something that perhaps I could take a little more seriously. Well, I'm glad you hit on that because honestly, one of the questions on my on my list was, what was this international NGO in Thailand or in Southeast Asia that you started? <laughs> because I, I, I heard it mentioned a couple times throughout the blog and in, in the videos and whatnot. But I want to hit on a few of those things because you go into this you know, extreme support you were getting and even just taking the quote of, oh, I, that's something I wish I could do, you know, hearing that from other people. It seems like you took that and realized, oh, there's, you know, there's this market and there's also this need you know, for people to realize that they can do this full time. And you seem to start doing this with your writing, which ended up leading you to write a couple books on the subject. Um, can you explain your background as, a, as an author? When I started my freelance writing uh, career, if you will, uh, one of the first uh, publications that I started writing uh, regularly for is called called Wisebread, wisebread wisebread.com. To this day, still one of the top personal finance and frugal living websites out there. And they allowed me to write about all things financial as well as many things travel. Uh, And it really helped me cut my teeth to develop a repertoire, to to create a voice that was mine, Uh, and ultimately led me to my first uh, official published work, which was uh, I was a co-author of a book called 10,001 Ways to Live Large on a Small Budget. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was my first kind of taste of being a published author. Uh, and, uh, and I got to do some cool things with that project. One of the ways that I made it work on the road, because one of the common misconceptions uh, about full-time travel as a lifestyle is that it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Because when we think of traveling the world, we think of going on vacation. And when we're on vacation, we have nothing to do, and we're doing all the touristy stuff, and we're treating ourselves because we're on vacation. Mm-hmm. And it's an expensive proposition. When travel is a lifestyle, it's a completely different animal. Uh, but one of the ways that I really drastically cut down my cost of, of full-time travel and quite frankly enhanced my experience exponentially was by getting free accommodation mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, and I discovered over the years, I discovered five different ways to get free accommodation around the world, of which I exploited for well and truly. Uh, and the five forms of free accommodation are volunteering, house sitting, uh, hospitality exchanges, home exchanges, and even living on boats. Uh, 
Uh, and I, I did all, and I explored all very thoroughly uh, and discovered a few things in the process, uh, one of which was uh, that the cost to live full-time on the road was actually less than I'd ever spent to live in one place. Uh, and I walk this talk by publishing annually. I publish my uh, expenses and my income. So I demonstrate over and over again, even with a, a variable income that has been, you know, low, very low and decent, uh, and sometimes even a little more than decent, I've always demonstrated that I've been able to uh, financially sustain my travels. So mm -hmm. full-time travel doesn't have to cost the world, and it can take many, many different forms. And full-time travel is not synonymous with budget travel. The website has been a great forum to teach people uh, about uh, full-time travel as a lifestyle to uh, blow any misconceptions out of the water, including any glorifications that people have about travel, which is why, as you said, I do tend to write about the ugly side of travel as well as the beautiful side of it. I'm not here to glorify anything. One of the other books that I've written, and I've written quite a few, but one of the other books that ties into what I was just talking about is I wrote a book on how to get free accommodation around the world. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in exploring any of those forms of, of free accommodation, I have a very expensive book that's a practical how-to guide, gives you all the resources you need in order to get out there and start doing it. So how long into your travels, obviously, as you said, this, this book, How to Get Free Accommodation Around the World, is going to be based on your experience traveling around the world. How long into your travels did you realize you had this knowledge that you that you wanted to share with the world i mean i guess i hope i i shared the knowledge as i went so mm -hmm. i mean volunteering i actually started by volunteering and trade for free accommodation almost right away um because a woman who bought my couch when i sold everything had given me the <laughs> the the kind of clue into uh, exploring that as an option oh isn't that perfect <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, or right, a couple of years later, uh, I realized that um, the time constraints of volunteering and trade for accommodation in conjunction with building and maintaining an online business was a little uh, taxing for me. I, in fact, the day that I kind of felt like I traded one rat race in for another was the day that I realized I needed to make a change. And that was when I discovered house sitting. So, you know, as I was volunteering, I was writing all about how amazing volunteering is. And then I discovered house sitting and then I wrote about how great house sitting is and how awesome it is if you're, you're also concurrently running an online business. And so I regularly wrote on various um, forms and very, for various publications about my experiences. It was probably after I spent three months uh, living on uh, boats in the Caribbean, not a night on land. I lived on five boats spanning three countries, probably about after that experience, um, which was a good six, eight years into my full-time travels that I realized that I could actually, you know, there was some serious knowledge for me to compartmentalize and share mm -hmm. in the form of a book about getting free accommodation around the world. The title of the podcast being Hostel Homies, uh, a lot of it is about all these, you know, these people you meet along the way and especially in hostels, you know, it, you feel like friends are almost handed to you because you have all these fellow travelers there. When you're staying in these other types of accommodation, whether it's house sitting or, or volunteering, uh, can you give any tips to people on how, how to meet others while traveling, whether it's locals or, or fellow travelers while you're in foreign countries? 
That's an excellent point because the times that I have stayed in hostels, I personally prefer private rooms uh, just because I've, I've reached a point in my life where if I'm out traveling a lot, I'm a bit of an introvert. I need a little bit of personal space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and I don't like people who uh, decide to pack or unpack all their stuff at one o'clock in the morning while drunk. <laughs> That's very very <laughs> common in a that. hostel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But hostels are fabulous ways to meet people. You're immediately plugged into a community of travelers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you make fast friends with these people, and you often find, you know, places to go and things to do with them. Um, I I also found it to be just a little bit, it wasn't quite what I was looking for personally Mm -hmm. uh, in my travels, because what I wanted to do was I wanted to meet locals. Mm -hmm. And the more travelers I hung out with, the the fewer locals I met. Mm Uh, which is why volunteering actually really spoke to me. Uh, And volunteering for me and my particular experiences of volunteering have been the perfect kind of balance between staying in hostels and staying with locals because it's a little bit of both. Depending on the volunteer gig, you're often staying uh, with locals, either in, you know, if not in their actual home, perhaps on their property. And in many cases, they employ uh, a number of volunteers who are travelers from around the world. So uh, you immediately are meeting people from all over the world in the form of a little international community of volunteers, and you're also immediately plugged into a very local scene as you're helping them you know, run their business, do whatever it is that that volunteer gig entails. Mm-hmm. So volunteering around the world, depending on the gig, and, and I will always I will always emphasize depending on the gig because every gig, whether it's volunteering, house-sitting, boats, or otherwise, is very different. But it's a great way to meet people, and it's a great way to make connections around the world. One of the most amazing volunteer experiences I had was actually teaching conversational English in Spain. Uh, And I received free accommodation, meals, wine, everything for a week. So in one week, I hung out with 30 amazing people from Spain and all over Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, I did two of these weeks of volunteering. And in those two weeks, I met enough people that I had places to stay for free throughout Europe for the next three months. Oh, my gosh. So talk about meeting people. It was amazing. And to this day, I'm still friends uh, and in touch with many of these people that I volunteered with in Spain. Are there any specific uh, volunteering sites or apps that you use in order to find these experiences? Well, the the English one is is the is a little bit different, and I have a, a post on my uh, website uh, that is if you search my website for Vontown, you'll see a post that I've written, and it explains the experience, but it also lists a number of different schools throughout Europe that offer this kind of experience. Um, all the other volunteer gigs I've gotten from there's a variety of websites out there that hook travelers up with gigs like this. One of the most popular ones is Help Exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Work way. I personally actually haven't used either of those. Uh, I've used uh, a website uh, and a membership program called Caretaker Gazette. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool because it was like a way of like shopping for opportunities all around the world. Right. Uh, Woofing is another hugely popular one. Uh, WWOOF, which of course is an acronym for Worldwide Work on Organic Farms. Now, my thumbs aren't particularly green, so I wasn't particularly drawn to this to begin with. Mm-hmm. But the other reason I don't really like woofing is, uh, or that way of finding gigs is because you have to choose your country first and then you have to buy the membership for that country. And uh, I would I rather get a membership for a worldwide organization where I can search gigs anywhere in the world. 
because I tend to let my destinations choose me rather than choosing my destination and then finding a gig. Sort of letting the, uh, the possibility of an adventure and experience lead your way, right? Exactly. Like my first uh, play after I left Canada, I had a volunteer gig on a permaculture property in Hawaii. Hawaii was not on my list, nor was milking goats, but that was what I did. (laughs) (laughs) And it was great. That's amazing. Um, Is there anyone that you've met on your travels? And I'm I'm sure there's multiple, but anyone who stands out that uh, that's had a significant impact on your life? Uh, Well, certainly, uh, uh, one of the more kind of fantastical experiences that I had and, and also life-shaping experiences that I had uh, was when I went to Peru. Uh, I was staying in the Sacred Valley, and it was, it was a whole bunch of serendipity that brought me to, to this place where I was staying in the Sacred Valley. And it was a whole bunch more uh, serendipity that led me to uh, meet, befriend, uh, and eventually rent a house from and, and apprentice with uh, a shaman in Peru. So I actually spent two years apprenticing with a shaman in Peru, working with plant medicines. Uh, and, uh, that for me was a, it was a life changing experience in a variety of ways, Uh, obviously a very healing experience. And, uh, and also something that certainly shaped my view of people, my, the way I communicate with people, uh, you know, any number of things. Uh, certainly for a while, actually, I thought it was a new direction in life. I was going to be Shaman Nora, uh, and that was going to be my thing. I was going to mm-hmm. live in Peru and, and do Shaman things. Um, didn't end up working out that way, <laughs> for better or worse. Um, but that was certainly, you know, if, you know, in terms of meeting someone who, who shaped uh, and changed my life, that was certainly one, uh, amazing experience. Uh, the other experience I can, I can, um, immediately think of off the top of my head was I was in Thailand, uh, met up with a couple of other travelers just hanging out and I, I, uh, talking about volunteering and whatnot. And I asked, uh, uh, this guy, I said, I said, what's your what's your favorite experience that you've done around the world? And I, I was careful not to ask him his favorite country because that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. I said, what's your favorite experience you've done? And he said, Mana Retreat in New Zealand. I, said, I was like, what? 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 What was that? <laughs> he said, Mana Retreat Center in New Zealand. It's a, you volunteer and train for accommodation there. He said, it's the most amazing experience I've ever had. It's a beautiful place and they do amazing things and the food, oh my God. And that was all I needed to know. Uh, and I ended up a couple of years later showing up at this retreat center. And, uh, and absolutely, it was probably about as life-changing for me as I think it was for him as well. Oh, wow. What do you, what do you think this attraction is? Because I've, I've had a similar... Thing where I've traveled around and I never really found myself that that into spirituality beforehand or meditation or yoga, but something about traveling sort of led me to a lot of these places similar, you know, like meditation centers, retreat centers. Do you think there's something, some correlation between travel and, and finding yourself or pursuing these different uh, different activities? You know, it's funny you should mention that. So I said it a little bit earlier, the first place I I went after I left Canada was Hawaii. And I was on the big island of Hawaii, and I was on the side of the island that is, like, super spiritual. Like, everybody's into, like, chakras and meditation and (laughs) movement dancing, and and they're all, like, new age hippies. And at the time, I thought they were all completely crazy. Mm -hmm. I was like, who are these people? They're all shopping at expensive stores to look like hippies. (laughs) And they, they, like, I didn't get it. I didn't get any of it. I didn't know what they were talking about with chakras. I just thought they were all completely bonkers. Mm -hmm. 
And it wasn't until probably, uh, I don't know, maybe three years later that I had what me, I guess you could refer to as a spiritual awakening. And it was a function of meeting the right people and being exposed to some different ideas uh, and, and activities that allowed me to, to further explore the idea of spirituality. And once that happened, and once I started to realize that these chakra people weren't crazy, uh, and I started to look a little further into it, you know, like like you said, I learned a lot about myself. Anyone who explores spirituality often learns a, a fair bit about themselves in the process, uh, which begs the question, of course, why are we traveling? You know, mm-hmm. that there's a school of thought that says people travel to either to run away from something or to look for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I firmly, staunchly have have believed that uh, I was never running away from anything. Um, you know, perhaps I was looking for something. Perhaps I was looking for some element of myself that I hadn't yet discovered or that I'd misplaced. Um, perhaps I was looking for a greater sense of f- fulfillment. Or uh, more appropriately, perhaps I was looking for connection. Uh, and Because ultimately, I was, I was very vocal about the fact that I was looking to connect with locals. I was looking to understand people of different cultures around the world and to connect with them. And through doing so, I, of course, ended up connecting with myself all the more. Oh, that's great. I think often when you when you go to a country, especially if, you know as a, as a Westerner and you go to third world countries, is there a way to do it where you feel like you're helping the community rather than taking advantage of it? It's really difficult, to be honest, as a real fine balance. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can be very challenging. The wider the cultural and linguistic divide is between you and the place you're visiting, uh, the harder it is to make a real connection mm-hmm. with locals. It's circumstance, more often than not, that allows you to meet uh, to meet and connect with people that you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to meet. Uh, this is why this this uh, the volunteering the the English conversation classes were really rewarding for me in Europe, mm-hmm. because I got a chance to meet Spaniards from all over Spain who I would never otherwise have had a conversation with. Yep. Uh, and so, for in that sense, I got to to dig deep. Um, house sitting to an extent can be the same thing, because you're staying in a local's home in a local neighborhood, and depending on where you're staying and what you're doing, the owner of that home will introduce you to to some of their family and friends and neighbors who who can then um, maybe help you integrate a little bit more. Now, the more of a financial disparity there is between you as a traveler and the country you're visiting, the harder this gets again. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I was in Switzerland house-sitting, it was pretty easy for me to meet my neighbors and for my neighbors to invite me out and do things and whatnot. Uh, and and it was we were already kind of on on a level. On it, we understood each other in a Western way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's much more difficult when you are um, staying in countries where you just don't. There's 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 no real understanding or even a way to communicate with uh, the people that you'd like to get to know. So, uh, you know, there's a variety of different ways that you can try to bridge that gap. Uh, There's more and more locally offered tours out there these days. Uh, And it it may seem like a superficial way, at least in the beginning, to get to know people. But it can actually pay off in the end. Um, 
two websites that I can recommend, one of which is withlocals.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, a website that there's uh, locals from around the world who want to either open up their home and teach someone to cook, you know, a, a meal that is their, you know, national dish or something or to take them on a walking tour or whatnot. And it's 100% locals who offer these tours. Uh, and in many ways, you'll get a chance to converse with and in some cases develop a real connection with uh, these locals who have um, an interest in getting to know travelers as well. Uh, the other website that's pretty cool is called guruwalk.com, and this is a website that aggregates free walking tours around the world. Now, this is another great way to get to know a place, and it's a it's a walking tour with a local who is offering it of their you know of their own volition uh, because they wish to show off their uh, their home city or their hometown and location. Um, the tours are free, although, uh, you know, bring some money to tip uh, according to how good you felt the tour was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be generous because, of course, they were offering their time for free. Uh, and again, it's a great way to, to get a much more local sense and a local feel of where you're going. Oh, that's great. I didn't know either of those existed, so that's fantastic. And I appreciate Ooh. you being... Uh, realistic about it again honestly there yeah because there's a there's a disconnect that often comes with with traveling especially in third world countries and there's there's sometimes even a a guilt that that comes along so i i appreciate you bringing up the the realistic side of it and even going back to that i mean there's often things and i've i've read in your blogs and heard in the interviews that you have had some some rough things happen to you while while traveling has there anything that's happened to you during your travels that seemed dangerous, scary, really embarrassing at the time that, that you can now look back on and, and laugh about or smile about? I, I, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've survived three natural disasters. I've had three diseases. Uh, I've, uh, I had my passport and $10,000 stolen. Uh, I've had, <laughs> like, I was in a near fatal accident, you know, like, so where do we want to go with this? There's a variety of directions. I can I can go with this. I even write about this. Anyone who has a strong stomach who wants to know about all the misadventures that travel can, as a lifestyle can present. I have a, a post on my website called Brace Yourself. Travel isn't all roses and lollipops. Uh, and it's a bit of an aggregate roundup of of you know all the crap that can happen on the road and uh, and there's a lot of it um i say that misadventures make for the best stories mm-hmm. first of all because i like to, i like to tell a good story um i also find that they can be the greatest learning experiences and in many ways they can be opportunities to to, to grow and, and also to meet and connect uh and i i'll give my uh i'm accident that I was in as, a, as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a near fatal accident. Uh, I was living in Grenada uh, in the Caribbean at the time in a very, very local neighborhood. There was not a white person for a very, very long way in any direction. Um, I was living with my partner at the time who was Grenadian. Grenadian uh, and he was, after the accident, he was in the hospital for a month. So I was on my own in this house in a very local neighborhood uh, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't take care of myself. Oh, and that was when the community came to my rescue in beautiful ways. The neighbor downstairs drove me wherever I needed to go, whenever I needed it, and, and including at, I mean, <laughs> at some unholy hour, I called him because I was projectile vomiting. I I cracked my head open in the accident, and I was afraid that there were problems with concussions. And when I started projectile vomiting, I called him at this unholy hour and said, please, can you take me to the clinic Mm -hmm. where I got a a CAT scan and realized I 
wasn't dying. Here I am. Uh, but so he took care of me. Uh, the woman who ran the rum shop down the street. Now this is a woman who was had seven children uh, and a high maintenance husband who was never around. Um, and she ran this this rum shop. She supported her entire family, and she would walk uh, forty five minutes to my house to bring me food. Oh wow. Wow, indeed. Uh, and there were people who rallied in, in such amazing ways uh, like this uh, and and friendships that uh, not only, you know, kind of were inspired, but also were deepened and strengthened because of it. Uh, so, uh, you know, bad stuff happens all over the place when you're on the road or not. Um, the difference being when you're on the road, it can be a lot more isolating. Uh, you know, I, I think back to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation about how, um, you know, I underestimated the, the value of having my long-standing family and friends and, and in close proximity now that I have a home base in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But the reality is I've been well cared for all of these years. And uh, if there's anything that I've learned about, you know, the human race as a whole, is that 99% of, you know, human beings the world around are fundamentally good people. Mm -hmm. Uh, they fundamentally care about one another, and we all ultimately want the same things. You know, it's funny we're we're doing this interview over over the phone for people who don't know, and I'm just I'm constantly nodding the entire time because I'm I'm in such agreement with what you're saying. But it's funny because you clearly can't see <laughs> can't see me nodding. But but I know I I just I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that. Um, my my final question for you. And I ask this to everyone, and obviously for someone who has traveled for 12 years, uh, you know, this, is, this might be a difficult question, but um, where in the world do you think everyone should visit at some point? And this can be a city, a neighborhood, or as specific as a restaurant you once went to or a park bench you once sat on. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to preface this answer uh, with, uh, it's very, that's a great way of asking me what my favorite country in the world is or what my favorite place is in the world um, without asking me that. So I, first of all, I'll thank you for that because I think the way that you've asked that question is very creative. Um, but secondly, um, I, I'm going to say that travel, and this is another one of my big learnings and lessons from travel on the whole, is that travel is contextual. Mm -hmm. My experience of a place, uh, be it a country, a city, uh, or a park bench, is going to be dramatically different from yours mm -hmm. because that experience has way more to do with uh, who I'm with, what I'm doing, and how I'm feeling than it actually has to do with the place itself. Uh, uh, India actually is a perfect example of this. India is one of these places that is kind of a love it or hate it sort of place. Mm -hmm. um, no matter who goes there, they all say it's challenging. And I am the first person to say, yep, <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, I thought I would love India. I was, you know, I mean, I went there after I, I, I had over a decade of, uh, of travel experience under my belt by the time I went to India. I'm like, oh, come on, how hard, how hard can it be? Well, uh, it turned out it was pretty hard. It was it was amazing and it was horrible all at the same time. I had some of the most luxurious and brilliant experiences and connections in my life and some of the lowest moments in my life as well. Why? Because it was a reflection of myself that I was seeing. And this is one of the one of the things about India in particular, but really travel on the whole is a is a way it shows you a reflection of yourself. 
and, and where you're at in your life and in that moment. Uh, the question is whether or not you see it or are willing to take responsibility for it is that in that moment uh, and what you want to do with that. So where should everybody go? Where they're called. Mm-hmm. And if you're quiet for long enough and if you listen and if you look for the signs, that destination will call out to you, generally speaking, in the form of an opportunity or something that has, you know, something every once in a while, you'll just read something and you go, wow, I'm going there. And it may not be next week, next month, or even next year. But if you can hang on to the idea that there's something resonated for you about needing to go to that place, don't ever forget it and allow the place to show you whatever it is that you're ready to see. Well, I love that way of looking at it. Nora, where where can people uh, follow your adventures? I can be found online at theprofessionalhobo.com where you'll find uh, everything from my uh, my travel lifestyle guides about the life, lifestyle, managing your finances, identity, insurance, all the stuff you don't want to think about. It's all spelled out for you in step by step. I talk about my, my adventures uh, and misadventures alike. Uh, and uh, I also have uh, a few books, not the least of which is How to Get Free Accommodation Around the World and Working on the Road, The Guide to Un conventional full-time freedom. Perfect. Nora Dunn, the professional hobo, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Hostile Homies.